Live from the WGPB studios in Merrick, New York, this is Sports Talk New York. From the crossroads of Merrick Avenue and Sunrise Highway in Merrick, New York, this is WGBB Sports Talk New York, 95.9 FM, 1240 AM on your dial. I'm Mike Wadone, joined tonight by Chris Caputo, as always, talking New York sports. Going to give you a little college football flavor as well. But before we do any of that, I want to say hello and welcome, Cap. What's going on? How are we doing, Mike? Happy birthday. Oh, well, thank you very much. Yes, uh, I appreciate you saying that. Yesterday it was the old double nickel, 55. Uh, most people would be, you know, hard to believe that because I act like I'm 15 most times. But, um, yeah, appreciate it. So it was a big weekend and uh, topping it off here with a, with a nice show going into the weekend. Uh, and, and coming into Christmas week, we got NFL. We got a little bit of NBA we'll touch on later with some Mets news, a uh, little dinner at Uncle Stevie's, as you said. We'll talk about that. Um, but a tough day for New York football. Yeah, happy to be back in the studios. Happy holidays to everybody. As we are one week shy of hitting that, that Christmas break, and uh, as teachers, we're all trying to get through that week, and you turn on the TV while you're wrapping the gifts, and you see the Jets putting up the bagel, guys going in that tent, and then you put on the Giants game, and you got the backup punter who's kicking field goals, you got Tommy Cutlets who's getting the other team to giving them you know, the good old uh, fingers together. And we're back to uh, just when we hit the two highs, we kind of dipped that roller coaster down to the two lows. And I think everything kind of all comes back full circle. It's really not about Tommy Cutlets. It's not about the quarterback position. The Giants are just not a good team, Mike. No, not at all. You know, and they tried to get Saquon Barkley going a little bit today, get the running game established. Couldn't do it with him. Then they had to rely, you know, on, on the passing, and it it just. They had no flow today. Nothing was going on. Saints, obviously, are in the thick of the race in their division. So they came to play. Um, a Giant fan, a Jet fan, both texted me. I had two guys text me earlier today, and they said, why do we bother? You know, it's just we get a, we, we start to feel like a little juice, and then, boom, then it's all over again. Yeah, and we're going to open up the phone lines a little bit tonight. Later on, we're going to have a couple of guests uh, chatting a little bit, but think about what you might want to talk about. 516-623-1240. As, uh, again, this is Cappy here with Mike. And, um, you know, you kind of look at the NFL and you want to get excited because you're going to have some games while you have the family around on Christmas Eve. And there'll even be some Christmas Day games. Uh, games on the 23rd. And around here, though, you know, it just gets to the point where I really do think, Mike, that uh, the Giants ran into a really good Saints team. Did not give, allow a touchdown last week, and the Giants had a tough time scoring this week. Um, their defense really stepped it up. And I thought this was going to be, if the Giants had a shot, this was going to be the game. Because you still have to play at Philly, play Philly at home. And you know, I just really thought it was going to be a, a stretch for them to make it. Um, but if they were going to do anything, it was going to be this week. And when you look at the standings now, I mean, you're kind of back to square one. The Giants really don't have a shot. Um no, they could. I guess on a technicality, they could sneak in if yeah. they ran the table and some weird things happen. And, and just watching some of the ga- other games, you know, uh, especially in their division, um, I thought last week that the the Cowboys took a step up and put themselves way above where the Eagles were. And then they came out this week and they looked horrible, completely late in that. Game. I mean, every week I try to sit there and say, 
you know, maybe we can have this discussion at some point today. Like, there are guys out there as quarterbacks who are uh, guys who kind of keep you in the game, and then there are guys who win it for you. Right. And I kind of look at Dak Prescott as, like, in between. Is he that guy that steps up and is a, a gamer for you, or is he a game controller? And I thought that he took a step up, and I was like, the Cowboys, you know, they're 431 points against and 264, you know, uh, so, sorry, 4431, 4264 against. They're putting up way more points than the other team. Way better than what the Eagles looked like last week. And then all of a sudden they lay an egg. But I mean, I really will, again, just as much as I gave credit to the Saints this week, I also have to give credit to the Bills. They look good again. And if Zach, you know, if uh, Josh Allen can, uh, can keep that team together, I think the Bills could be one of the favorites. Don't want to really talk betting too much, but a couple of weeks ago, they were like 20 something to one to win the AFC. And I'm like, if they make the playoffs, that means they're on a hot streak. I'm taking them right now. You know, that's like a bet that I'm like, if they just get hot, they're going to be good. And they really destroyed the Cowboys today. Yeah, they did. And they're, like you said, they're getting hot at the right time. Dolphins, uh, had a, had a tough one last week. Uh, but then came out today. And again, it's kind of hard, I guess, to grade whether today's game was, you know, was anything. And we're going to talk to our, our Jets guy, John Santamaria here in just a couple of minutes and, and kind of go through that. But just cap, just kind of going back to the giant game for a minute. So I'm on the way, you know, we, we, we picked up my daughter uh, last night, stayed over in Connecticut. We're on the way back. We're listening. I'm listening to the radio. Giants, you know, they, they get the ball. They, they running into the punter, right? Then they, then they're able to get it. Then, then they kick a uh, great field goal, kick off. Then the kicker's injured, but then they get a three and out on on the Saints, and and you could hear in the background the Saints fans are booing, you know, because, um, like anything, they want to see offense. So it's like, all right, you know, now now we get a second run, and then it, that was it. Then it was all just kind of downhill from there. Unfortunately, De, uh, you know, uh, Carr had he was twenty three for twenty eight, two eighteen, not a big number, but three touchdowns, just. He played well. He did. He and, did. and when he this needed. is a guy who got into a fight with one of his offensive linemen last yes. week. They kind of made up. Um, but think about this, Mike. They they sacked Devito like seven times. Se- seven times. It was like five weeks ago when he was getting <laughs> sacked in his own end zone. It, and, you know, so everybody that gets excited, like I knew that this week was going to be in some way, shape, or form the end of the Devito because either a he was going to get injured. Which he did. Right. At some point, you know, they, he got hammered and they, you know, not in the head, but his head hit the ground. They brought in Tyrod Taylor, kicked the field goal, allowed him to play in the second half, but he had gotten hit pretty hard. But I knew, like, he's not going to be the guy next year who fights Daniel Jones no. for the starting spot. Now, is Daniel Jones going to be ready for training camp? Probably not. So there, that, that leaves the veto a chance at next year, but we can talk about that later. Right now, this is just a facade. This is something to sell T-shirts and get people to show up for the last few games. And I give full credit to his agent, oh. who, who, who found a way to get himself on Monday Night Football. He's got the fedora. You know, smart guy. I, like you said, this is his five minutes of fame. Who knows if it goes any farther. But we're going to uh, go over now to the other side of Giant Stadium, MetLife Stadium, Jet Stadium, or whatever you want to call it. And we're going to talk New York Jets football and a little New York Islanders also with our reporter, John Santa Maria. Johnny, welcome and good evening. 
hey, what's going on? Not much, John. You know, uh, as you were calling in, we were touching a little bit on the Jets, and, and uh, I'm also interested, and, and Chris is as well, to talk a little Islanders with you. I was at the game the other night against the Bruins, and we'll get to that in a minute. But uh, Jets football. Uh, today, you know, a lot of a lot of interest. Hopefully they go into Miami. Maybe they can pull one out or at least, you know, get a little momentum. Maybe A-Rod comes back next week. Um and, and just nothing going on on the sidelines down in Miami. What, what are your thoughts on the game today and, and just in general, you know, for looking forward here for the rest of the season? Is there anything to get excited about? Just another complete 180 after what we saw last week and the week before. It's one week that maybe they're showing you something. Another week they didn't show up, and that's what we got today. Yeah, and uh, with Zach getting knocked out, um, you think he's done for the year? Well, you never know with these concussions. I'm no, do- I'm no doctor, so don't don't test my knowledge on it. But you would have to think next week is in question. That's against Washington. Um, there's a possibility that they could still win that game regardless who plays quarterback because the Commanders are not too much better than the Jets. But after that, this is probably about it. So maybe we're looking at a six and eleven, seven and ten finish based on where things uh, roll out. Yeah, but at this point. Um... You're not. Bring, I think they have until Wednesday to determine whether or not they're taking Aaron Rodgers off the IR. You're not bringing him back now that they've been officially eliminated for the 13th year in a row. Yeah, no, no, you're not bringing him. No, no, absolutely not. Uh, get him ready for 2024. I, I'll tell you, John, I, I agree with you and Chris here. I, for sure, don't bring him back. But I'm telling you, he's going to play a series. He's going to take it. He's going to do well, something. Mike, they have to activate him uh, but they're gonna by, do it. by Wednesday. They're going to do it. What the hell? Why Who not? Who they cutting? Ah, who cares? <laughs> I, mean, I, I think that, like, back a couple weeks ago, something was going on with Boyle. He said something, and they cut him. So I could see them cutting Trevor Simeon and saying, you know, this is what we're going with. I don't even see it as, like, a long-lost thing that Zach Wilson gets cut sometime this week just to just to get themselves no, away from that. Because it'll, it'll burn their salary cap a little too much. They're, they're going to trade him. They'll trade him at the end of the season. It'll probably... Maybe not the same kind of return, what I'm expecting there, not the same kind of return as as uh, the Sam Donald trade, but maybe you'll get a, a, a late conditional draft pick for him, and what a team will probably decide to do is maybe pick his fifth-year option up. So that's where I think we're going with him, but no, they could not afford to cut him. I mean, I know they, I'm sorry, I know they have the Commanders coming up and they could possibly win that game, and then they have the Browns, who, by the way, today, uh, Joe Flacco, Looked unbelievable out there. I mean, remember, Joe Flacco was just with the Jets. Brought that, you know, just unbelievable what he looked like out there for for an older man. But, like, honestly, this was a Jets team that people had going to the Super Bowl. What happened? What happened? They didn't prepare for the what-ifs. We've said it all season. They did not prepare if something was going to go wrong. They put too many eggs in one basket, and it really hurt big time. Yeah. And, and you know, they really do have some weaker teams to finish the season with, but, you know, it's almost like And you know what? Even when you're looking at this, I was just looking at the standings before we came on. It's not really going to matter. And, and I know what people are going to say, well, now just tank for the draft pick. They've done enough of it because <laughs> the whole backside of the NFL is very mediocre this very. year. There is a very good chance, guys, on the NFC side of the playoffs. We might get two teams in with a losing record. 
that's a big problem. Well, it's said that some of them might not even be division winners that get in uh, with a losing record. Because we've seen that in the past, where guys go 7-10, and 10, win their division, and host a home game against a team that was a 10-7 and 7 wild card. But some of our wild cards, you're right, John, this year are going to be uh, losing records. Yeah, it's going to pro- potentially one on the NFC side, but the Rams held that case today winning again. So I'd be very surprised if that does happen, but it's still sad to think about. So when you're looking at things right now with the Jets' record 5-9, and nine, they are projected to pick number five in the draft. Okay. So they could go up, obviously, if they lose to the Commanders. To, but they're they're going to probably stay in that range. I don't see it. We're not talking. Oh, they're going to another win's going to drop them to like say like six spots down. I don't see that happening. All right. So, John, before we get to a team in the Islanders that's actually winning some games and drawing some fans, let's let, just one question. So, you mentioned the draft here with the Jets. Do they go offensive line? Is that is that the first thing they have to do? You know, to kind of secure that for next year. Well, that's a good that's a good question, and that has been the thought all along. But now, if you're picking in the top five, right? Think about who's going to be ahead of them. Arizona's before them. Arizona's not picking a quarterback. They have a lot of money committed to Kyler Murray. Right. Who knows what the Chicago Bears do? And my gut is telling me they will hold number one. They will trade their pick. I'll get to that. We'll get to that yeah. thought later, but just sure. keep that in mind for right okay. now. New England's going to take a quarterback. Yes. We all know that it's probably happening. We think the Belichick's on his way out. Washington, I'm not 100% sold on them taking a quarterback. Let's see what happens with Ron Rivera and the future of the coaching staff. But... If that is the case, and it's either Washington, it's say the Jets even pick before the Commanders, you cannot pass on a quarterback no way. in this group. And think about this, John. I don't know if you remember this. But I do not want Caleb Williams. Right. But one of the things in the deal with Rodgers is if he plays more than 60% of the snaps, their pick would have gone to Green Bay as part of the deal. And because he's not paying 60% of those snaps, the Packers are going to get a second-round pick from the Jets, and the Jets get to keep their first-round pick. You have to sit Aaron Rodgers down and say, listen, you're going to be our quarterback next year, but we need to draft a quarterback. We're not disrespecting you, and I feel he felt that way uh, with love over in, in, in Green Bay. They need to sit him down and say, we need something after you. We're keeping our first-round pick. That's Two very different situations, and I'm sorry to cut you off there, but what happened in Green Bay was, if you remember, Ted Thompson had resigned or stepped down, whatever he did in Green Bay. The new regime, if they had it their way, would have tossed Aaron Rodgers out with all that prime he still had left in him when he was winning back-to-back MVPs. They were ready to get rid of him then. I think he understands now. He's in a place for a short term that they're also going to be thinking about the future. And if anybody wants to give him advice... He should call a Peyton Manning because Denver did not plan for life after him. And it took them a little while, and it's going to take them probably a little while after Russell Wilson leaves, too. Well, hopefully, you know what, after this season, John, with the Jets, um, you know, the bad taste gets washed out of the mouth. There's, there's going to be a lot of excitement, of course, with Aaron Rodgers coming back next year. There was a little bit of a spark there, at least some things you could see this year, even with the record being what it was. The defense stepped up at certain times, and there, there's going to be that – I think again, inevitably, there's going to be that Super Bowl talk. But um, you got to feel for any Jet fan, including yourself, who who just each year it's like, oh, this is going to be the year. This is going to be the year, and then just something bizarro world happens. But um, you know, let's let's keep our fingers crossed that as we we enter into September, 
of uh, 2024 that everyone's yeah. healthy and that they get a fair shot to, to really show what they can do. Yeah, what I think they need to do more so, and obviously they draft the quarterback, I think they need to do what they did the last time they made the playoffs when Rex Ryan was here and even when Mangini was coaching the team. They have to go out in free agency and spend money on experienced offensive line. Yeah. And this is not just for Aaron Rodgers. Because if you're going to plan for life after him also, that's how you're going to do it. I think they have something with Joe Titman. They have something with Vera Tucker and potentially um, Tomlinson. Mm-hmm. But everybody else, but you might need to, you might need to go back and spend some money. I'm okay bringing Makai Beckton back, but maybe not to start. Dwayne Brown won't be coming back, but you got to spend money on good offensive linemen. Yeah, I think that absolutely is the the number one priority, and, and they got to go in the free agency route with that, and also in the draft. So they'll right. do that, and they'll do that. But I think the priority is because free agency's first. I yes. think they got to spend on linemen. Absolutely, no, I think you're 100 percent right on that. All right, so let's hop in the car. We're gonna we're gonna get on the get on the New Jersey Turnpike, cross a couple of bridges, head down <laughs> to traffic. Uh, yeah, hit some traffic. Go. Get into uh, Floral Park or whatever they want to say it is, uh, where UBS Elmont. Elmont UBS Arena, forty dollar minimum parking. <laughs> the beautiful UBS Arena. So, John, I want to get your thoughts here on this one. So, I, I went to the game the other night and uh, got a real close up look. I was able to uh, to meet some friends and and get really you know ice level and, and and take in the whole experience against the the Bruins. Now, the Islanders obviously were had turned the corner. Um, you know, we're six six and oh six oh and two, I believe, in the last eight, and um, you know, showing a lot of promise. So this game against Boston, I don't want to spend too much time on it because obviously there's other games to talk about. But I can tell you, there was at least you know the feeling in the building and the people sitting around me with like, you know, we were competing, going toe to toe with this Boston Bruins team, who right now you know is nineteen five and five, um, you know, just one of the top ones, and. You know, while while the the team blew a little bit of a lead here and there, it just was they fought and they punched and they, and they 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 did not look overmatched. So, is that you know is that the real Islander team, or is it the Islander team that struggled and you know is is kind of giving up, you know, in thirty games now is giving up a hundred goals, which is really not their their style. Well, I think they've had their moments, they've had their ups, they've had their downs. Every team does. But let's start with the Bruins game on Friday night. First off, in my opinion, that game should have never got to overtime no. because a couple of penalties were missed yeah. that they did not call against the Bruins. So we're talking about a whole other hockey game if a trip is called in front of the net. And I felt, John, at the one big play, two, two, up to nothing, shorthanded, just missed the goal. Bruins come down, score the power play goal, make it 2-1. Huge difference in the game. I don't know if you And you've got to be writing on the back end of that because the Bruins have the top power play in the NHL. Yeah. So... To be, to be, and that, and that takes away the mental mindset of it too. So, tough, tough game, tough situation. That's one you're glad they pulled a point out of though. You say, oh, you wish you could have two. Honestly, if he had a trade in around, you would love that point back from San Jose. Yeah, oh, see, that's the big one. I mean, that's what everybody was talking yeah, about. Yeah, 10 out of 12 points, though. I mean, I think for the most part, you got to be happy. You wish you had Oh, yeah, excellent homestand. Excellent homestand. Can't complain. I think they have turned a corner. They figured some things out coming back from Western Canada, learning to play to their strengths, learning how to play with each other, and also, too, yeah, the 100 goals is a lot, but they've gone through quite a number of defensemen with injuries, too, this yes, year. So, so got to give that group the benefit of the doubt. A lot of mix and match in there, so... They're holding their own with what they have, and the more that they get back, it'll certainly help them along the way. 
And it seems like, John, every time we talk, we're, we're talking about scheduling issues. They play on a Friday night on Long Island and then have to go back through customs to go play the Canadians up in Montreal. How does this happen all the time? There was a, there's a lot of weird scheduling this year, and I'm telling you, and I'm starting to see it more and more. Also, there was a triple head of basketball at UBS yesterday. Yes. The, there's Horrible a lot of college too. basketball tournaments, holiday festivals, or whatever you want to call it, in the three arenas. I know Fordham played St. John's yesterday yep. at the Garden. It was a triple Bar- head of has had stuff. So there's a lot going on. So these teams who have multiple tenants, yeah, they've been hit hard with the scheduling. I'm sure that you could say the same with the Rangers. They had to go to Boston on a back-to-back also. I mean, going to Boston is a little different than going to Montreal, but still, it's a lot of moving pieces, so you're really not in a rhythm. And to have, I'm trying to think of the right way to put it, to not a lot of time in between, because obviously going through customs is a pain, yeah. can be at times. We've all definitely, if we've all traveled European or whatever or out of the country, we all know what it's like at JFK, and it's not pretty. Yeah, just just a grind to have to you know play a game, a, a real drag out knockdown game against Boston, and then have to you know pack up, get on the plane, go up to Montreal, and and with very little rest. And you know that they did fight though. You know they they got down big. Uh, you know came back to four three, then empty net goal. Um, so, you know, I agree with you. They look gassed. Yeah. They look, no, they look they gassed. To. And you know what, too? You could say the same thing. I was watching the Knicks as well last night, too. Going from Phoenix to Los Angeles still, that that's a yeah. long night. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's why, you know, you look at those situations and you're like, take the Canadians tonight. Take the over in, in the Knicks game. They go up 144 points. I mean, the scheduling, I, I never understand it. But I'm sure it's like a better's, like, you know, beautiful paradise where they're like, how are the Islanders going to compete in Montreal after playing, you know, back-to-back in two different countries? Um, it, it really does not make sense. And here's the one thing that I wanted to get to you, John, is Noah Dobson is playing major minutos. How do you try to keep him down in the first and second period so that he's able to play in the third period? It seems like it's happening to the Islanders again. They're getting those second and third period woes because their defensemen are out there way too much. Well, I think, too, now Robert Bortuzzo is getting more comfortable game by game. You have to show a little bit more faith in Bull Duke, which I think he's he's played okay. He, they're all holding their own. Bortuzzo literally got to the team and played in the same day within a week, and then he was also scratched for a whole bunch of games in St. Louis. So he's still getting his yeah. conditioning up to speed, but I think he's showing you something a little bit. Mike Riley's getting more comfortable, so it's just a matter of they, they, that, that side of the – that side of the team had dealt a lot of injuries this year, and I don't think Pellick will be back until after Christmas. Aho, maybe we'll see this week, but I'm not counting on it, and then we'll see from there. So just got to go game by game. Hope that's now you have two days off. They're off today, tomorrow. They play again Tuesday night. And then, again, another back-to-back. They go to Washington, though. So let's see what happens this week. Maybe our defenseman will come back, take a little bit of the load off, the other guys. So one last question just on the Islanders here, Johnny, before we wrap it up. Uh, you know, Josh Bailey was uh, cut, sent back, however you want to say it, at, you know, at the end of training camp this year. And, you know, big, obviously big personality, big part of the New York Islanders franchise for so long. Now we're kind of seeing Matt Martin, who's been, a, you know, 34 years old, has been a big part of this organization as well. Um, it is, you know, he's he was obviously hurt, but 
now you're not seeing him on the ice. Are his days pretty much ended with the Islanders, or is it, uh, you know, he's going to come back and, and strong, or are they just kind of phasing him out? What, what's your feelings no, on I that? Said, I said when the season started, I said this was probably going to be it for him because yeah. his contract, it's different from Bailey. Bailey had a little bit more money owed to him. They had to buy, they had to trade him. Luckily, they didn't have to use the buyout. Um, Martin's an expiring contract. He makes a million bucks. The salary cap is projected to go maybe close to four, four, four and a half, five million dollars. You are not re-signing Matt Martin. No. Um, there is no need for him, and there's a couple reasons that you have other guys who are who are showing you the capabilities to play down there, especially Hudson Fashing fitting in very nicely on that fourth line. Cal Clutterbuck, on the other hand, he's a free agent at the end of the year. He may end up turning into getting the type of money that. Martin's getting paid just shy under a million bucks just to help one of those team-friendly deals, but you're starting to go in different ways, and you're seeing that Casey Sezegas, who's the key of that line, could play with anybody. Definitely. He could do whatever you need him to do. It doesn't matter who you put him with. So, yeah, Martin's in the process of being phased out. Folks, we call him Johnny Sticks. He also is Johnny Football for us today as well. John Santa Maria, thank you so much for joining us and, and filling us in on, on Jet Thoughts and, and always your great insights on the Islanders. And uh, look forward to talking to you in a couple of weeks. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, uh, and, and let's go Islanders and, and Jets just stay healthy, correct? You as, Yes, you as well, and uh, hope, hopefully for you also a good start to the high school hoop season, and uh, we'll all be together before you know it. Uh, Calling our local games. There we go. Yes, sir. Good talking to you, John. Happy holidays. Have a good one. All right. John Santa Maria, thanks so much again for joining us. And, uh, you know, interesting perspective there, Cap, on, on a couple of things. Um, you know, uh, I, I, I was pretty interested because I remember talking to him about Matt Martin. I'm a, I'm a big Matt Martin guy. I think he just, you know, he's the kind of player who reminds me of Bob Nystrom, who was my, my all time favorite, just a grinder, you know, a guy who's not going to, not going to take anything and, and, you know, John had mentioned at the beginning of the year that this was probably going to be it for him. You know, he those type of guys are hard to come by, and it, regardless of what sport it is. Yeah, and uh, they pl- they all play a role. Uh, you know, his his father in law is a Ranger fan in, in, in Boomer, um, but yeah, I mean, th- those guys are all around. It's actually interesting, Mike. Total side note: I know we're going to be hitting a break after this. Um, you guys can call us in a little bit five one six six two three twelve forty. We're going to have one more guest, and we'll take your phone calls. But I actually got an email from Steve Webb's wife really? because she runs this whole, uh, like, team for whatever. And, you know, my, my the group that I run, we did a charity, and she said, hey, we saw that you guys did this Thanksgiving food drive. Could you send me some pictures? We want to put it out there. And as soon as I saw Steve Webb, I'm like, I'm thinking of all these enforcers, you know, Paul Cruz, all these guys that they serve a role. Absolutely. But I think at this point Matt Martin's role is is extinct from the New York Islanders. Yeah, and, and it, it's, it's tough, you know. Uh, John had mentioned too about you know the the new defense core that did came in, so a lot of new faces on the team kind of working themselves. In um, I, I just I got to tell you, you know this was my second game, and you you had been to an Islander game, I know at least one this year as well. Just a great buzz in that building. It is. I mean, you do have to uh, make sure that you you know your American Express is fired up and That's ready it. to go because boy, there is there's not a cheap cheap thing to be had in that building. But I will say this. Uh, great quality, great night out, and and the team, they they play hard, you know, and that that's that's all you want. Is I, I know we probably have a lot of Ranger fans out there as well, and and uh, you know, that that they are, you got to give them credit. They're Absolutely. playing tremendous hockey, and uh, they're they're not a fluke. 
I mean, we're here we are at Christmas, and, and they're still, uh, you know, rolling right along. So um, hopefully the Islanders can keep it together. Uh, maybe we get get an Islander-Ranger playoff matchup if we could. That would be fantastic. Yeah, and I think it's it's good to have both teams playing well. It would be nice to even have the Devils up there. Um, you know, the Devils are not terrible, but it would be nice to have them up there as well and, and have that whole rivalry. So once again, uh, we're going to be taking a break, and when we come back, we'll talk a little bit of uh, some college football, but we're also going to take your calls later. So make sure you guys are tuning in. It's 516-623-1240. WGBV Sports Talk New York. We'll be right back. Listening to Sports Talk New York. Tune in every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on Long Island's WGBB. Broadcasting on 95.9 FM and 1240 AM. Or listen live online at WGBBradio.com. Stay connected to Sports Talk New York on WGBB by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You're listening to Sports Talk New York on Long Island's WGBB. And now, back to the show. And welcome back for our second half hour here on Sports Talk New York. As Cap mentioned before, the number is 516-623-1240. If you'd like to call in to speak about anything that we've talked about so far or anything on your mind in the sports world, again, 516-623-1240. In just a moment, we're going to welcome our college football expert, Connor Clark, to break down the college football playoffs real quick and, and get us ready for a little Christmas Day, New Year's Day, turkey and football. Uh, but, Cap, just real fast, you know, we had uh, we, we talked a little bit of the Knicks last time we were on. Um, Jalen Brunson drops 50 the other night. Uh, you know, the, I guess the buzz of the in-season tournament is now done, but um, – do the Knicks make a move? Do they have to? I, I don't see the Knicks, no matter what they do, unless they go out and make, I'm talking like a top five player in the NBA, I don't see the Knicks moving too much from that like five to eight category. I really don't see them. I mean, unless the Magic wind up being a bust, you know, I yeah. see them at this point as being the one team that might fall a little bit, but the 76ers, as much as everybody tried to blow them up last year, still good. The Bucks. Giannis put up, what, 64 the other night or something? Yeah. He's not even trying. No. <laughs> um, the Celtics are who they are. So what are the Knicks going to do by making a move? Are they going to gain themselves one extra player? I think they are who they are, and they need to stick with what they have. Yeah. Um, That's a great it, point. It really just comes down to, to me, what, what what is Julius Randle going to be? That, that's, that's really that's the long and short of it. Can he carry it or whatever else? I mean, even with, with Jalen Brunson – Dropping fifty, their identity is you know they're going through Randall. Um, someone had mentioned to me they asked, "What about a shooting guard?" You know, the shooting guard is 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 different. I think the way the Knicks play, you're not going to get even if you got a Demar Derozan or, or someone in there. I don't think it makes sense for that 
for that lineup and for the style of play. You agree? The Knicks are trying to put up 120 points. They're just running and shooting, and yeah. you know they're not defending much. Um, you know, which so, is very interesting for a Tom Thibodeau team. I know. It's just say that three times. Like they give up 146 points <laughs> to the Bucks, 144 <laughs> points to the Suns uh, or the Clippers, Clippers 122 yeah. to the Suns, uh, 133 to the Celtics. Like they're they're. The, the in-season tournament was what it was. Yeah. You know, I think um, it was LeBron's chance to to shine again, to go sit courtside and watch his son play in a in a college game. Look, I'm relevant again. Yeah. But I, I, honestly, I think the Knicks who they are who they are, and I don't think they're gonna they're gonna change that much. Um, I think they need to make a splash in the off season. Maybe go out and get somebody. Are they gonna try and trade, you know, to Cleveland and try and pick up somebody? But I just honestly, I think they are who they are, and and um, Nobody on that team besides Brunson is a guy who I think is going to have a night where they take over. Right. You know, I think Josh Hart's role is, has diminished. Um, you even, know, even quick, Emmanuel quickly. He's, I, he's been kind of the odd man out yeah. here a little bit too recently. And DiVincenzo I knew was going to be a – Yeah, he's limited. He was going to be something that oh, maybe he'll play. And R.J. Barrett still at this point has not proven that he's going to be that superstar. And I think the NBA – you, you and I know it doesn't kick in until after Christmas. Right. You know, you got a while before that becomes somewhat relevant. And that's why we got other things out there. And But I think one thing, Mike, that uh, totally changing it up a little bit, I think college basketball has taken a step up in their relevance early on. Number one versus number two. Number two versus number four. Like, there's a lot of really good games out there. Purdue, Arizona. You know, like, top ten teams are playing each other in New York, in Chicago, in Atlanta. And I think they've really taken a turn for, hey, like, we want to make ourselves relevant way earlier than February and March. Absolutely. And uh, for that to be happening now, like you said, the, those these big-time games, uh, festivals at, at in New York, Chicago, the, the, the big-time arenas. Um, last night, Kentucky was going uh, they, uh, against uh, North Carolina. Yeah. A great game, you know, as well. And we haven't even entered into, you know, the, the primetime uh Conference play now. You Big Ten. Nobody. Yeah, nobody's. Yeah. Nobody's been. I mean, you got an upset. You nice. Nice. I watched uh, Northwestern play Purdue, and it's nice to see those type of games. But it's really good to see these tournaments out there, and um, you know, I think college basketball will take that step up. But you know, we also have uh, college football, and you know, there, it made some waves. We talked a little bit about it, and now we're we're getting some of the bowl games start, but we're really getting down to it. And the the crazy part is this year. Our final four, or the semifinals, are actually happening on New Year's Day. So I think that makes it a little relevant this year. A lot of times it was New Year's Eve or the day before, but New Year's Day, the big day that was supposed to have all these parades and bowls, we get the semifinals. And here to talk about those games and a little bit more is our college football insider, Connor Clark. Connor, welcome to the program, my friend. Hey, how are you guys doing? We're doing great, buddy. So... We were just saying a little bit, you know, we're getting juiced here for New Year's Day. We have number one, the Michigan Wolverines playing Alabama Crimson Tide, and number two, Washington taking on number three, Texas in the Sugar Bowl a little bit later that evening. So, you know, big slate of, of, of games and, and great playoff uh, teams that have been just, you know, stalwarts here over the years. But before that, before we get to that, um, I know, you know, part of that was that fifth team that got left out, the Florida State Seminoles, who, you know, Power Five Conference went undefeated and, and you know, 
Governor DeSantis sues the the college football committee. Uh, <laughs> what were you? Yeah, I can. I, I kind of get get your thoughts on that. Uh, what what's your thoughts? You know, it, it, did they have? I mean, I guess you could say they had a legitimate gripe. But in your eyes, did they deserve one of those four spots? So I think what you have going on here is a, is a couple different things. Um, you know, I think a lot of people are constantly mixing up the, the four best teams with the four most deserving teams. And I think this is the best case that we've had in a while where both of those ideologies are kind of challenged. Um, in my eyes, I think the committee did get the four best teams in. But at the same time, um, you know, this is the first time that they've ever kept out a 12-0 Power 5 team. And the the other factor involved in this is that this is the last year of the 14 playoff. Right. And when you think about it that way, the committee isn't setting any sort of precedent by doing this. Um, you know, once it expands next year into the 12-team playoff, uh, you know, they might be haggling over who's in the 12th spot between a 9-3 and three and an 8-4 and four team. And it's just going to be a lot different. And um, so I think they knew going into this that they wanted the four best teams, maybe not the, the most deserving teams. And I think that they understood that they would not have to kind of stick to this rule next year. Um, so I, I think that's kind of how it played out. Personally, I think they got it right, but, um, you know, I feel for Florida State, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you, certainly any time you have a team of that caliber that gets left out, certainly you could debate this till the cows come home. But um, as you mentioned, next year it expands. So if it had to happen this one time, you know, I guess now it, it it's the best time for it to to take place because it'll be a distant memory next year. No one's ever going to, you know, think about it ever again. And you're right. They're going to be kind of be splitting hairs on nine and three teams and, and whatever else. Uh, so here we have first game Rose bowl, number one, Michigan taking on the Alabama Crimson Tide, Nick Saban, uh, big time coaching matchup. Uh, one of the best signs I saw at, at a game was, um, Anti-Michigan sign was I had a better sign, but uh, Jim Harbaugh stole it. I thought that was great. <laughs> so you know you have that whole that whole thing, uh, but marquee matchup. So in that one, number one versus number four, uh, what's your thoughts on that, and who are you picking? Yeah, you know I think um, you know I believe Michigan's a one and a half point favorite, and which just shows you how close yeah. this game really is. I think they probably would have been closer to a. Uh, a five to seven point favorite over FSU at the minimum. So it, it is a very, it's a very, very close matchup. Um, you know, when you're talking about the matchups in particular, both of these teams like to build through the offensive and defensive lines and it really shows, you know, Alabama, for instance, they, they're starting a true freshman, Caden Proctor, who's really come into his own at left tackle. But if you look along that offensive line, you have, you know, stalwarts like J.C. Latham and Tyler Booker, guys that have been playing for a long time and who came in with that, you know, five-star pedigree. And when you look over at Michigan's offensive line, you know, it's a lot of older guys that were still, you know, high four-star guys like, uh, a Trevor Keegan and a Trente Jones. And then, you know, they are, they love to use the transfer portal and they were, you know, they got a great center in Drake Nugent from Stanford. So overall, you know, you're looking at two offensive lines that are great. Uh, now what I think is going to be the very interesting matchup is the interior, these, uh, interior trench play. So 
I personally, when I was watching the SEC championship, I had watched a lot of Alabama, but especially during that matchup, the Jaheim Otis, who's their stud defensive tackle, Chris Braswell, um, and also uh, Dallas Turner on the edge, and then they have another young gun that comes in, Jihad Campbell, who's just a handful as well. That French play is going to be phenomenal and very interesting to watch. And then on Michigan's side, they have guys like Chris Jenkins, Kenneth Grant, and Mason Graham as well, who are kind of those SEC bodies that seem, you know, to come few and far between outside of the SEC. So it's going to be interesting to watch. I think this game in particular is going to be low scoring, but I think it's just going to come down to can J.J. McCarthy make enough plays. This is going to be the best secondary that he's gone up against in his college career. And you know, we're talking about Alabama starting a kid uh, at safety, Caleb Downs, who came in, and he's a true freshman. He's just been phenomenal. But they have guys like, you know, uh, Jaquincy McKinstry and uh, Tyrion Arnold playing in that secondary as well, who are, you know, for sure first and second round talents. So it's going to be interesting. This is kind of J.J.'s big moment to step up. Can he actually, you know, take hold of the game and make the throws he, he needs? So, um, I, I suspect a very low-scoring game. I'm going to go with Michigan, but... Um, I know that kills you, know, you as an Ohio State guy. Yeah, no, it kills me, <laughs> but I, I, can see it, I can really see it going either way because yeah. the thing with Alabama is, and I think we saw this against Georgia, you know, they might not always play up to their five-star caliber, but if you look, I mean, in terms of get-off-the-bus type teams, uh, I mean, they, they have it, and if they want to, they can impose their will, so... Um, I'm picking Michigan, but I'm doing it very simply. All right. And then later on that evening, 845, you head down to New Orleans to the Sugar Bowl, and you have number two Washington and number three Texas. Uh, give us your thoughts on that quickly and, and who you're picking in that one. Yeah, so I'm I'm picking uh, – I'm going to go with Washington in this one. I, I really don't understand the, the – um, why Texas is a favorite. I, I just don't I just don't get it. Yeah. Um my biggest thing in this matchup uh that no one seems to be talking about is the number one pass offense in the country is Washington. You're talking about, you know, the Michael Penix Romo Dunze connection along with, you know, another, you know, Jalen Polk and these other talented receivers. But Texas um is ninety fifth in passing defense. Uh, and there's only 130 teams. So, you know, to be that, to be that bad in pass defense, I think the Big 12 just hasn't really had to challenge them. And I think the one time that they were truly challenged was against Oklahoma. And it kind of, you know, it was kind of that Achilles heel. So I'm going to go with Washington. I think for as much as I think Alabama, Michigan has the potential to end up being like a 14 to 10 game. I yeah. think this game is going to be scoring in the 30s. In the 40s, I think this is going to be that fireworks game that everyone's going to be looking forward to. Keeping you up at midnight when it's, uh, you know, fourth quarter, 38-33, and are they going to go for the field goal later? It's going to be one of those high-scoring games, I think, as well. Yeah, and the other, the other, you know, sort of interesting storyline to follow in this is, um, you know, Texas's backup quarterback uh, entered the transfer portal. Um, a couple of days ago, so he's not going to be able to play wow. uh, because he's most likely going to be, you know, on, on somebody else's roster. Yeah. Amazing. And Quinn, 
Quinn is one of those guys who's been injured, uh, you know, multiple times in his career. So it's just something to look out for. So we might see Arch Manning uh, a little bit sooner than expected. Hmm. Absolutely. Well, listen, it, it can't wait to see, you know, both games. But specifically if you're a football fan, I think you, you, you hit it right on the head. Michigan-Alabama, that's going to be a knockdown. Drag out should be a close one. Uh, and then, you know, you, you you polish off your evening with a good old-fashioned shootout later on. Um, and no matter who wins, going to have a big time, uh, you know, championship matchup. Uh, college sports has never been uh, more popular; has never been in in the public eye as much with NIL deals and whatever else. But when it comes right down to it, it it's it's football plays and players. Absolutely, and you know, I, I think um, the best kind of combination. This playoff, and it's so interesting because, uh, you know, I think you have four very talented teams, but when I look at the jobs that um, Kalen DeBoer at Washington and Steve Sarkeesian at Texas are doing from a schematic standpoint, I think, you you know, pairing them with two of the, you know, sort of mainstays, if you will, in the elite tier with Jim Harbaugh and Nick Saban, I think it's an interesting kind of coaching matchup as well all across the board. So, I think you can get interesting matchups any which way you split it in terms of who comes out winning these games. So, uh, it, yeah, it will definitely be a very interesting playoff for sure. Yeah, you could get Sarkeesian and, and Saban back again, who you know, yeah. they they had been linked up. He was working for him at one point. But at the same time, you might have a lot of rumors. Of if if uh, if Harbaugh wins and he's going to the national championship game, a lot of rumors about those NFL teams that are ready to make firings could kind of be, be pushing him there too, don't you think? Well, I think, you know, with the Chargers firing Brandon Staley, you know, I, I think um, a lot of coaches have looked at that Chargers job just knowing that you have Justin Herbert there as a um, a very interesting uh, opportunity, especially with the uh, other pieces you have, not only on offense but on defense with the likes of Derwin James and Joey Bosa and guys like that. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if, um, you know, one of these coaches is kind of getting caught with their eyes looking the wrong way during the prep process and, uh, and, and something goes a little haywire in the games from a preparation standpoint. But no, I mean, I think, um, I think personally, either which way, I think this might be Jim Harbaugh's last year. And, um, you know, I, I've heard multiple opinions on Nick Saban, for instance. If, if he wins at all, he might, you know, come back and see it as a challenge, and I've heard he might just walk off into the sunset. So, so you never really know. But uh, I, I think the playoff will not be the last sort of drama piece to the year uh, with the uh, sort of coach shuffling that might be taking place. Now, some great points there. And I I think you saw it in college basketball with Mike Krzyzewski retiring and, and Jay Wright. Just college sports is, is just different now, and I think the coaches are getting, the older guys especially, are just worn out from re-recruiting their players every single day and having, you know, the, the transfer portals, you said. The, the, that was a, a, a phrase that, you know, five years ago didn't even exist. So these poor guys, you know, the, I mean, well, they're not really poor guys, but uh, <laughs> they, I, I should poor is not the, the proper word, but they, they're, they're working themselves to yeah. just to death having to, you know, keep their programs together. And uh, I, I think you really hit on something there. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's a very interesting time. You know, I think the the scheduling needs to kind of work itself out because I, I think, um, you know, like Malik Murphy, the backup quarterback for Texas, he's not uh, – he wants to be a part of this. But, yeah. you know, for for him, he can't 
stick around if he wants to participate in spring ball somewhere else. So he's got to, uh, he's got to enter the portal now, unfortunately, and that's just a scheduling issue. And, you know, I do feel for the coaches because, you know, you're trying to build depth. And at any given moment, it could be the snap of a finger, and and you could be losing, uh, you could be bleeding out pretty bad. So you know, it's just interesting to see, um, just sort of how roster management is uh, taken into account, you know, today compared to five or six years ago. Ladies and gentlemen, his name is Connor Clark, and he is our college football insider. We thank you again, Connor. Always great information. Uh, Love to have you back on before the national championship game to break that down, and we'll see if our picks are correct. But um, solid info, as always, and definitely uh, we're going to watch uh, New Year's Day with uh, great anticipation. Sounds great, guys. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Bye. Always a pleasure. Connor, thanks so much. And, folks, as we kind of round into the last ten minutes here of the program, uh, we have some open phone lines, 516-623-1240. Uh, if you want to weigh in on anything we've spoken about so far, uh, if you want to bring up something of your own, we're, we're, we're certainly, you know, uh, open to anything at the moment. But uh, really, you know, I, I didn't think about, as Connor was speaking, Cap, about just the the grind that it has to be for both a player and a coach. Yeah, if you're trying to, yeah. if you're trying to, you know, get yourself to a new team next year, if you're a backup and your team's in, in, in these games, like, what do you do? Yeah. Uh, as we said, uh, if you're still up late tonight, if you want to call it late, 516-623-1240, we'll take your call on anything. We'll talk anything, New York sports or beyond. But I think you're right, Mike. Like, you have assistant coaches who are trying to prepare for a bowl game or a national championship semifinal. Um, but at the same time, they're hitting refresh on the portal every 10 <laughs> seconds. You have to because if you miss it, it's the, you know, that one time where you could have gotten the guy. Yep. You know, Syracuse is getting a whole bunch of guys. Just yeah. pull the guy from Ohio State. Brand new coach coming in. Like, that stuff you don't expect. But it, Rutgers, you know, grabbing guys from the area, guys who once were playing far. and It's another job within itself. You know, you've gone from, hey, if a guy transfers, he's got to sit out a year, to this guy is available to be in your spring practice in like a month. Yeah, it's literally like the Wild West. I mean, it, it just has changed so much. As a fan, do you like this major change in college sports, or are you more traditionalist? Mike, this, this is outrageous what's happening. <laughs> I, I'm used to you got to sit out a year. Yeah. And then if you're in, I believe it was the Big Ten, if you transferred within the conference, and it was just, just the Big Ten. It was like two years. You had to right? sit out two years. Yeah. Like the Jess Settles guys, you know? Absolutely. Like, these guys are able to literally pack up, go somewhere else, practice, and be ready for the next year. And it's just mind-boggling to me. I don't know how I would ever be able to, if I was coaching college basketball right now, how I'd ever be able to do that. No, it's it, yeah, it's, you, it, you you can't have a family. You can't, and uh, it just has changed the whole. I mean, it's guys it's, are on fourth. They're fourteen. Yeah. I look at Javon Quinterly. I know. I don't know if that name means anything to you. Played for played for Villanova. Went to Alabama. Played for Memphis. Like he's he's in his sixth year because of COVID on his fourth different team, and he's like a starting point guard. Like yeah. it, it just does not make sense to me how these guys are able to max move around, but the coaches are able to do it too. That's true. But that that's why the whole thing, you know, student athlete is just such a oh. scam. Because I mean, if you're if you're on your fourth college, I mean, obviously, you know, I'm 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 old school, and I think back to you know the '80s when when it was really you know college sports and whatever else. But it's um I, I think you have to 
make a decision here as the NCAA or some other organization, if they, you know, almost like the live tour in golf, the top blue blood schools are going to have their tournament. And at the end of the year, you know, the, the, the lesser teams, they're just, there's going to be this, this huge, huge divide. I think that's going to be even, even bigger than you would ever anticipate. But I got to say this. I don't know if you caught a couple of minutes the other night. Uh, Hofstra traveled to Duke. Yep. Played well for a while. Played well first half, right? And then second half. So Speedy Claxton was the Hofstra coach was being interviewed after the game and they said, you know, what, what is it? And he said, well, the size and athleticism of Duke just wore them down. Yeah. And they're they don't see that on a on a constant basis. No. So that's why you get these these upsets in the NCAA tournament. But um, you know, a team like Hofstra going toe to toe for half and they got worn down. Uh, and a team that's good for one year, that's a a, a mid major, is not going to be good long term, Mike, because those guys are getting stolen. Any guy that's scoring twenty six for Vermont or Hofstra, they're gone yeah, the next absolutely. year. Somebody's taking them, and and you have no chance to uh, to pull them. So. So, Cab, we have a caller on the line. He is Mike from Babylon. I think I might know this guy. We'll see when he when he weighs in here. Mike, welcome to the program. Chris and Mike, how are you guys doing? Merry Christmas, and Mike, happy birthday. Thank you very much. And and to our loyal fans, Mike from Babylon, who is also known as Mike from Lindenhurst, who is also known as the Tresman, our our. Intrepid reporter, our co-host for many years, and I'm sure who will be making a return to the airways sooner than later. It's great to have you on the program, Mike. Hope all is well, and um, you know, Merry Christmas to you as well. And what would be your perfect Christmas gift as a sports fan? Well, I'll tell you, I heard you guys were looking for a new Yankee reporter, and um, you know, I'm applying for the job. You know, I have experience. You're, you're right? hired. You're hired. Not. not <laughs> The opposite of of uh, Mr. Trump and uh, and uh, George Steinman of your fire, you're hired today. Uh, a little birdie told me you're not talking <laughs> enough Yanks now. Well, you know that's that's the problem, I guess. When you have uh, when you have two Met guys here as well, with you know Yamamoto uh, having dinner over at Steve Cohen's house. Let me ask you about that, Mike. You know, before obviously, you know, you can ask us or talk about whatever you like. Um, is is Yamamoto? Is he going to be a Yankee or a Met? Boy, I'll tell you. I hope uh, I hope Uncle Stevie rolls out the red carpet for Yamamoto because uh, it's going to be a tough act to try to get him to Queens. But you know, I just did want to say, guys, I know you're coming to the end, but I want to make a point about this whole Tommy DeVito phenomenon. Yeah. You know, it's been a nice story and, and a fun ride. But the thing is, is that in very practical terms, what the Giants can do now is come into camp next year with Tommy as the backup. I mean, that's going to mean Tyrod Taylor goes someplace else. Correct. And Tyrod Taylor's a serviceable backup. He didn't do anything wrong, you know. But yeah, he just had the bad fortune of getting hurt. Terms, in very practical terms, Mike, you know, if you if you can put that five mil that he's making toward another player, now you're confident that DeVito can be the backup. And, you know, when, when Daniel Jones is ready – Daniel Jones is going to play, like you said, Chris. I mean, there's no there's no quarterback controversy. People would think that are ridiculous, you know. Um, but in terms of Tyrod, I heard you guys talking to John about the, um, you know, the Jets possibly drafting a quarterback. What about them bringing in Tyrod for a year to back up Aaron? And if they draft a quarterback late, 
in, in the middle rounds or in the third, fourth round, whatever they have, and groom that guy. You have time to groom him. You don't have to do what you did with Zach and throw him right into the fire. And um, it, it's a good fit for everybody. So if you had one pick then, if the $5 million of Tyrod Taylor goes away, where do the Giants spend that money? Giants have got to spend that money on their lines, Chris. I mean, we've, we've seen they still have a long way to go to catch up with Philly and with Dallas. They're going to get absolutely destroyed twice in the last three weeks by Philly. We all know that. And so that's where they have to take that 5 mil that they're paying Tyrod, use it wisely, and that's meaningful in today's NFL. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I, I think you can't overpay for for line help, and and the Giants. You know, it was it was a tough one today. They showed a lot of fire, a lot of heart, and um, I, I think you know, at, at least they didn't quit on Brian Dable. And uh, there's there's not going to be a call, I would think, for any kind of major changes, right, Mike? At the, at the end of the season? No, not in the coaching staff. Right. I, I wouldn't. I mean, you've got to give a Dable a year with a healthy Jones to get this right. But, listen, I know you guys are coming to the end. Well, you guys are doing a tremendous job. Keep up you, the Mike. good work. Listen, Happy holidays. You, and, Mike, belated happy birthday. I appreciate it. And and for those of you out there, we had breaking news. Our new Yankee reporter, the Trez man, Mike Treza, will be joining us. And the first story will be Yamamoto. So, Mike, always right, a pleasure. Guys. Thanks, pal. Cat, that's going to put a bow on it for tonight, as we say in the Christmas lingo. Um, all the best to you as we get into Christmas, and we'll talk after the new year, and hopefully we'll have some great news, and we'll have some uh, some good wins on both the Locust Valley and East Rockaway side. That's it, Mike. Keep it up. Uh, enjoy the rest of 2023, and plenty of positive things for 2024. Absolutely. That's going to do it, folks. Thanks to Brian Graves, and we are WGBV Sports Talk signing off for 2023. program did not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBV.